Nobody in my family is a Christian. I'm sorry about that. Have you tried talking to them? Yeah, I was going to tell my sister about Jesus one time, and she was downstairs using the computer. So I went down and I was going to tell her about Jesus, but all that came out was, can I use the computer? I have a Bible verse about that. Would you like me to go get it? Yeah, that'd be a great help. Adrian! Did you hear that Kevin just wrecked his brand new Honda? No! Oh man, he had it coming! I knew this was gonna happen! He so deserved it. He is a terrible driver. He is awful! I think it's a bunch of when he bought that car. All he did was talk about that car all the time. It was ridiculous. I'm glad. I hear you on that one, uh huh? Well, anyway, I have that Bible verse for you. 2 Timothy 4.2 Preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Okay. Amen. Hey, we are in the book of James. And go ahead and turn there. We're going to read a couple verses, exciting and uh, new. And believe it or not, somebody's been praying. Anybody been praying lately? All one of you? Praise God, somebody's spiritual. But uh, the rest of you, we'll keep praying. You'll get there. That's why we're here, right? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so that's right. Uh, I think we're going to get into a new verse. That's right. Uh, but as you turn there, verse 2 and 3, we're going to take a look at. And uh, let's take a look there, what James says. He says, now, first of all, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Once again, this is literally what the Greek says. Be constantly rejoicing. Consider it a matter of unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow. Whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials, which surrounds you, knowing experientially that the approving of your faith... Uh, uh, that faith being put to the test for the purposes of being approved and having met the test has been approved. It produces a patience which bears up, does not lose heart or courage under trials. Once again, we saw that the purpose of the book of James is to test people. Why are they testing? Because the timing of this book is the first book, uh, even though it's not in the order that we have it in the Bible, it's the first New Testament book uh, in the scripture. And we saw that the early church, the timing of this, the early church was finally, finally getting out there and doing what Jesus said to do. Get out there into not just Jerusalem, they were stuck there for a while, if you read uh, the scripture. Uh, get out there into the world, because you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, they finally got out of there. And what the, the uh, impetus for that was, was persecution. So, this is the first book of the New Testament, the timing is they finally are getting out there into the world, sharing Jesus with people. So here comes the first book, okay, of the New Testament, and he's giving them an acid test. He wants to make sure that the people going out aren't fake Christians. You need to pass the test. Now, the first test, there's a bunch of them in here, okay, because the last thing, why is he giving the test in the first place? We saw so many times before. Because the last thing that God wants when this church goes out in the world is for non-Christians to tell the world about Jesus because they're going to have the wrong Jesus and the wrong gospel, right? Okay, and again, good thing that only in the early church do we have churches flooded with non-Christians. Yeah, it's a very applicable book for today. So they're finally getting out in the world. And the first acid test was how do you handle trials, okay? Now, obviously for the non-Christian, uh, the way that you can see that if a person is not a Christian is this when they go through trials, if they turn away from Jesus and literally turn away, not for a time, but that's it. I become an atheist. I'm going to switch religions and become a Mormon or go into the occult or something like that. Uh, the Bible's very clear. First John 2 says, listen, the reason why they went out from us is because they never belonged to us. If they really belonged to us, they were true, they would have remained with us. But by their going, they showed that they never belonged to us. They failed the test. A trial came along and God exposed them for who they really were. Okay, but for Christians, the neat thing about this is he says, believe it or not, Christian, listen, yeah, you're going to go through trials too. But listen, the theme is joy. You can seriously go through trials 
constantly rejoicing, it says there in the Greek. How? Well, he gives us, as we've seen several times, I'm going to take a look at it one more time, uh, Lord willing. He gives us a couple reasons why. Because God is doing something good in all of our days, which includes the bad days, the challenging days, the trials. He gives us one good reason, and that was the, the thing that he's going to work, is perseverance, okay, which is a good thing. That is what gives us that ability by the Spirit of God. God works it in us that we become that complete, mature Christian, not lacking anything is what it means there. Okay, you have the ability to bear up under trials and not uh, give up and come out on top. Okay, that's a good thing. And then he has a couple key words that he saw there. He says, you need to consider this, okay, this aspect that God really is doing something good. Yes, not just in the good times, but even the bad times. You need to consider this, which literally means to think forward. You need to look forward to the gift that's coming in this trial. Something good is coming as a result of this. And then he had the Greek word there, gnosko, know, and you know this experientially is what we saw there. This isn't just a casual knowing. This is I've learned from experience. How many of you guys have ever gone through a trial? How many of you guys have gone through several trials? How many of you guys have gone through a bunch of trials just since becoming a Christian? All right. So guess what? By now, you should not just know, as, well, it says it in the Bible, you should know experientially uh, that you're still here. God's brought you out of how many of those trials? Every single one of them. And if you stick with him, you always come out on top. You know that experientially. And when you consider that, you think forward, hey, God's doing something fantastic. And yes, this one, maybe it's the 117th one, but I'm getting ready to get blessed 117 times. That gives you joy. And that's why he says, don't just consider it pure joy. Think forward and be constantly rejoicing. When you realize, and you get this deep seed in your heart, Christian, all of us, that no matter what we go through in life, God is doing something, listen, fantastic. Even in our pain. What can rob you of the joy? That's what James is talking about there. And we've seen several different reasons. It says there, uh, remember the, the key word there, it says many trials, poikilos in the Greek. Many trials, God, just as there's many trials that come your way, all 117, however many there have been, okay, there's many good reasons why God allows those many trials. And we've been focusing on that for the last several weeks. To expose our sin nature, certainly perseverance. To expose our sin nature, to keep us from becoming spiritually lazy. To cause us to be a blessing to others. To teach us that God is God and we are not. To make us more like Jesus. To keep us from wasting our lives. To make us more humble, joyful, and loving. To produce a powerful testimony. Produce a powerful character. To get us steered into a new direction. Uh, 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 to get us to appreciate godly fellowship and the benefits of that. To get us to return to Him if we start going south. Okay. Uh, to get us to build our faith. To be a powerful witness for Him. To deliver us from depression and teach us the sacrifice of prayer in the midst of our trial to purify our service so we don't miss out on laying crowns at Jesus' feet. And sometimes, we left off last time, to discipline you. Anybody ever get a spanking from God? Because we all know that it's because He hates us. No. Hebrews 12 says it's because He loves us. And just like as a parent, you ever get a spanking? Used to? Okay. Keyword, used to. That's good. That's good, right? Okay. Get a spanking, you get a spanking, Joe? More, okay, that's good. Okay, right. Okay. And it was all because our parents hated us. No. It's because you get out of line, discipline is love. And that's what the scripture says, okay? Now, I got one last reason, and then believe it or not, <laughs> verse 4. Okay, I'm excited about it. We've been on verse 3 for a while. Anyway, so and the, the final reason that I've come up with this, and this is for, more for the non-Christian, obviously, and sometimes God will allow trials, listen, to get you to heaven, okay? To get you to to heaven. I really think this is what's going on. See, trials, God, he doesn't just expose the non-Christian with trials that, and they walk away from Jesus. That's the negative response. Sometimes uh, you're going to see uh, that it draws the non-Christian to Jesus. Okay? But uh, uh, open your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. I think this is a, partly what Paul is talking about here. Romans chapter 2. Romans, of course, was written to the Romans. Romans chapter 2. Uh, let's take a look there. Verse 4. And uh, here's what Paul says. Uh, he says, um, talks about this issue. Verse 4, when you get there, say moo. Moo. We've got a couple moos, give you a little bit more time. Mm, that was something. That was a cow pondering, apparently. A ponder moo. If the, that's right, let's, uh, almost sounds Greek. Now let's move on. All right, verse 4, here's what it says there. He says, now listen, or do you show contempt for the riches of his God's kindness, his tolerance, and his patience. Anybody glad that God is tolerant, kind, and patient? All right. He says, listen, not realizing that God's kindness, what's the reason why he's doing that? It's supposed to lead you towards 
repentance. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up, obviously the non-Christian, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. Anybody glad that that gets erased when you become a Christian at the cross of Christ? Okay, that you're out from under God's wrath and uh, you get uh, uh, become a recipient of his mercy. Yeah, okay. Now, the reason why I bring up that text is because I believe that oftentimes God, listen, as he, Jesus says, he doesn't just send rain on the just. He sends rain on the who? Uh, the unjust. He takes care of, he loves his creation. He's, he's uh, uh, patient. He's not wanting anybody to perish. And sometimes God does good things to his creation, even non-Christian, uh, to hopefully lead them to repentance, right? Okay, but why don't people respond? What to say there? Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. No, I don't need God. Okay, you're in a heap of trouble. You are actually storing up God's wrath for the day of judgment. And how many guys would say that it's probably not a good thing to do? Not even on Saturday when you're highly bored and looking for stuff to do. Yeah, don't do it any time. Okay, and this is what I believe. Sometimes people go through trials not only to expose, and they might be even in the church. You ever know somebody that starts going off in church services and they get involved in church stuff and they might even get cleaned up to look churchy and they might uh, you know, help out around the church and, and, and do this and do some church things and all that stuff and they go through a hard trial, a death of a loved one or some loss of a job and they're gone. And then you find him two years later, it's like, yeah, I become an atheist. God's just a bunch of baloney. What's the Bible say? Well, they lost their salvation. No, you can't. They show their true colors. Okay, and sometimes, did you realize that maybe what God was doing also wasn't just exposing your fake, but the purposes of your fake so you can what? Get saved. I have to, you're so stinking stubborn, you're so full of pride that I have to get you, in order to get you to bend your knees to cry out to me, i got to crack them for you. Now, it, so, it sounds harsh, but if we use the phrase in parenting called tough love, that sometimes your kids get out of line and you got to do something a little bit more than the normal to get their attention for their own good. And God is not willing that any should perish, and sometimes he'll use hard times to get the non-Christian's attention to break through that stubbornness and get them to repent. Otherwise, they're, where are they going? Yeah, you can say it. It is a biblical term. They're right. See, that's the silent H word in the church today, isn't it? Nobody wants to talk about that. I'll never forget one time this preacher was doing this funeral. And, and it was just like, man, just dancing around the issue. They said, well, yeah, your loved one, they just, uh, they just didn't, they didn't make it to heaven. You know, they just not, not, didn't go to heaven. Didn't go to, but you, you, you can say it, you know, okay? I'm not saying God beat them over the head. Okay, but they, if you don't go to heaven, where do you go? You go to hell, right? And see, that's the issue. That's the, and God loves people so much. He knows that this is not, well, they didn't go to heaven. No, he doesn't want you to go to hell. So he'll do whatever it takes to get your attention to get you to heaven. Because as soon as you die, if you're dying without Jesus Christ, listen, you're doomed forever. It's it. You can't change it. You can't get out. That's serious stuff. So God will do what it takes to get your attention. Let me give you some examples because I really think this is a common scenario. How many of you guys, I only know of one person that I've ever met who's come to Jesus because of God's kindness. His name was James Blaine. It was in Sacramento. It was a men's Bible study I used to go to when I very first got saved. And you know, we're all giving our testimonies and stuff like that. And he gives his, he says, well, here's how I came to Christ. You know, uh, my dad left my mom. It was just me and my mom going through some trials, hard times, divorce, and growing up in that situation. And and, uh, and I, I was befriended by a Christian, um, same age, and, uh, and uh, he would invite me over to his house. And I loved it because it's just like I had nothing to do. Mom was always at work and I was by myself. So I started hanging out with this Christian guy. Well, he had a family. Mom and dad were there and a couple of siblings, what have you. And, and uh, so I just started hanging out with them. And he says, and I just watched them. I just watched them be Christians. They would pray for their meals. They seemed to get along most of the time and uh, seemed to have some joy. And just, you know, just things worked out great for them by and large. He says, I went home that one night and he said, I mean, he had the exact time on the clock, everything when he cried out to Jesus. And he said, I sat there just reflecting on what they had and what I wanted. And I, I, I dropped on my knees beside my bed right there and gave my heart to Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only guy I've ever known. Most of it, how, is, how do we come to Christ? Hard times. 
<laughs> Big time. And man, this happens all the time. Let me give you some examples because I'm telling you, man, this is, I really believe, uh, a common scenario because we're stubborn. And I think that's the key word there in that passage. We are stubborn. If we weren't so stinking stubborn. I mean, I mean, think about it. I mean, th- th- we should be packed. We should be having 15 stories on this building of all the times that we've shared the good news, not the bad news, that if you would just call upon the name of Jesus Christ from your heart and ask him to forgive you of all your sins, that you're trusting in his death on the cross, taking the penalty for all your sins against God, God will forgive you, he will save you, you will become his child, he will take you to heaven. You would think there's so many people, right? they're lined up at the doors. Can I do it now, now? You don't even have to come in here to do it, you can do it outside the door. There should be so many people, Vegas should be saved by now. But what happens when you tell that to people? They scoff, the stubbornness, the unrepentant heart. So God uses trials. Let me give you a couple examples of uh, how that happened. First of all, it happened with my dad that way. Here's how my dad came to Christ. Uh, over the years, my dad was stubborn. He didn't need God. Uh, and uh, what God used to open up his eyes was uh, uh, he became the last sibling. Uh, his sister had died and uh, grieving through that. And it was just he and his uh, mom, that's it, of the family line. That's it. And he's all alone and feeling that. And, uh, but really grieving over his only sister. And, uh, but that's it. And so uh, the pastor had come over to do my uh, sister's funeral um, he asked dad, what do you want? He says, you know, I just need to know that God's real. And, uh, and uh, he said, the pastor prayed for him. And he said, my dad says, as soon as he got done praying, it was like a lightning bolt went from the top of my head, came out whew, through my feet. He says, I was overwhelmed with the presence of God, the love of God. And he, he came to Christ right there. And we, and we all know it's because God is such a tyrant and a meanie and an ogre because he allowed the death of my dad's sister and he put him in that situation of being... No, what happened as a result of that? Uh, he's no longer on the highway to hell, he's on the highway to heaven, right? That's a good thing. Uh, not only that, my uncle, same thing, my uncle, uh, my mom's brother, uh, he didn't need God either, right? Perfectly fine without him. So over the years, it took the death of his four-year-old daughter, Linda. She got hit by a car. My sister and Heather were there when, that, when it happened. We saw that. That was a traumatic thing. So she died, but still he didn't need God. And then his uh, 21-year-old son died of an asthma attack. Just had a baby, man. It was, just, it was a heartbreaker, but he still didn't need God. And, and then his wife, uh, my Aunt Jerry, uh, she died of a, a long, drawn-out, really bad bout of brain cancer and stuff like that. Drawn out. And after that, finally he cracked and cried out to God. Okay? Because we all know that God's being a big old giant meanie. He's trying to torture my uncle and just seeing how much he can go through. No. When all was said and done, what happened to my uncle? <laughs> praise God, he's no longer on the highway to hell. He's headed straight to heaven. Isn't that awesome? Okay, God broke through the stubbornness, okay? Uh, not only that, so you guys know my testimony. That's what happened to me. What do you guys get? There's a little test this morning. Okay, you're not going to get this on the back of a granola bar, okay? What do you guys get when you get strung out on demonic drugs, involved in demonic teachings, listening to demonic music, and experiencing demonic attacks infested with demons themselves? What do you usually get? You get possessed, you get demonic behavior, you literally get driven out of your mind. And of course, that's what happened to me. 1980s, ex-headbanger, drug addict, sexual moral male, chauvinist pig guy, involved in the occult. I hated Christians, I hated Christianity. I thought the Bible was a book for the intellectually inept. The only people who read that were people who were, uh, were, were illiterate, uh, uh, intellectually dumb, and, and they were getting brainwashed. I didn't need that, excuse me. So what did God do? He allowed me to go through all that. Really, you don't need me? He allowed me to go way over that. Literally on the verge of insanity. Infested with demons. Boom. Easter 1993. I was 25. That fear caused me to run to my bedroom. I was 25. I dropped on my knees all by myself and said, God, if you're real, you want this life, you can have it. I spent the last 25 years messing it up. And I knew enough from two people who dared to keep witnessing to me. And I was a meanie. To call upon the name of Jesus Christ. Because I tried all the other religions on the sun except Christianity. But this time I cried out to Jesus. Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. Come into this heart. Bang! Instantly I was delivered from the drugs. The demons were gone. I had a clear mind. It was awesome. Literally could feel the weight of all the sin, the darkness, the baloney that I was going through lift off of me. Why? Because we all know that God's a big tyrant. He's a big meaning an ogre. And he, he, he literally took me to the verge of insanity just to see how much I could go through. <laughs> No, God knew how extremely stubborn I was. And he was doing whatever it took to what? Get me off the highway to hell and onto the highway to heaven. Let me give you one more, and this is, this is really cool. This is a guy named Bob Franklin. He was uh, one of the guys I used to witness to 
uh, my first uh, senior pastor in Northern California. And man, he didn't need God. Okay, and his big hang-up was, there is no hell. If there is a God, there is no hell. Why would a loving God, you know, that whole, that whole thing, right? And uh, well, guess what? I, uh, one night, uh, I witnessed to him for a couple of years, uh, Bob was uh, choking to death. He's a guy, right? We don't like going to a hospital or doctor until you really absolutely have to. And uh, he did the same thing. He got pneumonia. He didn't realize how bad it had gotten. And he woke up one night. He was having difficulty breathing. It was about four in the morning. And uh, he, he woke up and he was just, because <gasps> his lungs were uh, so full. And uh, he lived in some pretty squalid conditions, and, uh, but, uh, which wasn't helping. And so he literally, he said, he says, I was sitting there. And all of a sudden he says, I took a breath in. <sighs> he said, that was it. He said, I knew in my mind that was my last breath. My, I was so clogged up. He said, I, 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 he said I, I couldn't speak. So just in my mind, I cried out and said, God, help me. He said, as soon as I did that, <gasps> he was able to take a breath. And they ran out of his uh, uh, little cabin thing or trailer thing. He stayed in there. And it just so happened that he had a Christian neighbor, uh, elderly lady, and uh, her dog had to go to the bathroom. Guess what time in the morning? Same time, about four in the morning. So she's outside the front in the dark. She sees Bob stumbling out and she gets her attention and says, Hey, Bob, you okay? And he says, Oh, no. She says, Man. So she got him to the hospital. I get the call first thing in the morning when I get to the office. And so I run down to the hospital. And so I'm there with Bob and I says, Bob. And I've witnessed him several times. I says, Bob, okay, you're still alive. And it was still, it was touch and go there at first. I says, But do you really think this is by chance that God has allowed you to continue on to have this discussion right now? Are you ready to receive Jesus Christ? As your Lord and Savior. He's given you breath for now. Oh yes. And he said absolutely man. He was humble. He was ready. He literally took it down to his last breath. Because God's a big meaning. And you know he just likes to torture people. You know he doesn't really care. He's an ogre. No. What was he doing? Bob got off the highway to hell. And now he's on the highway to heaven. In fact, Bob, he got saved when he was like 78. His only regret was, why didn't I do this sooner? He said, I wasted so much time that I could have spent telling other people about Jesus. And you talk about an eager beaver. He headed up our duplication department at that time. That was back in the VHS days, man. And he was crazy. He'd stay up all night long copying because he said, I got to let his meat with whatever many years I got left. I got to let people know about Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Sometimes God will allow challenges, trials. Listen, we saw 20 other reasons for the Christian. This one to get you to heaven, obviously, is for the non-Christian. It isn't just an aspect that I believe that James is saying he's allowing these trials to come to clean up the church so that when the church gets out in the world that you know who's really saved and who's really not so those aren't the ones on the front line telling people about Jesus because they're going to get the wrong Jesus. Okay, or you need to realize that guess what? The person sitting next to you in the pew, you might need to witness to them. Or the person you haven't seen because of that trial, you need to go chase them down and tell them about Jesus. You don't need to become an atheist. How about accepting the real Jesus this time? Okay? He's trying to get them to heaven, as well as, I think, the immediate context. And this is why James is saying, listen, God is not being a cosmic terrorist. He's not trying to torture us when troubles come our way. He loves us, and he's wanting to make sure that we know, Christian, every pain serves a good purpose Yay! You can be constantly rejoicing, but if you're not a Christian, you need to accept Jesus Christ. And then guess what? Whatever trials you got left on earth, because they're still going to come, you can be joyful too, with a true joy. Be constantly rejoicing. Consider it a matter of unadulterated joy without any mixture of sorrow whenever you fall into the midst of variegated trials which surrounds you. Listen, but here's the next verse. All that sets you up for the next verse, verse 4. But listen, there's a warning here. Key word we're going to see is this one, let. You have to let the trial run its course. Okay, that's verse 4 there. It says, perseverance, keyword, circle this, underline it, must finish its work so that you may be what? Tortured, destroyed, doomed, forever. Oh, I'm sorry, it's a good thing. Mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's what the original Greek says. But be allowing, literally, let it happen. You gotta let it happen. Okay, the affirmation patience to have its complete work, not halfway through and then quit. Complete work in order that you may be spiritually mature and complete in every detail, not lacking anything. Now, again, as we saw before, how many guys would love to be those Christians 
who are absolutely complete, you're mature, you're spiritually mature, uh, you, you're so decked out, you're armed to the teeth, uh, you're a mighty warrior for Jesus Christ, not lacking anything. Wouldn't you like to be that? How's it come? Trials. Listen, it's not just trials, but did you realize you could mess up the trial? You mess up the trial, you mess up the opportunity to be made into that Christian if you don't let it finish. You get half-baked. Which means, listen, that means you don't try to stop it. What? You don't try to resist it. You don't run from it. You don't hate it. You don't resent it. You have to let the thing finish its good job. In other words, you have to milk it for all it's worth. In fact, if you take a look at the structure here, you're dealing with a command. This is a command. This means you don't sit there and ponder it. You don't sit there and, well, I'm going to consider letting this go on. I'm going to consider not resenting this. I'm going to consider, you know, trying to have a biblical mindset so I can milk this baby for all it's worth. The whole thing, why God allowed this in the first place. No, it's a command. You have to do this. The, 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 the idea in the Greek here is you have to submit to this. Submit to it. Didn't say you'd like it. But you submit to it. Why? Because God, we've seen this before, God is more concerned about our character than He is about our comfort. He's trying to, listen, answer our prayers, hopefully we pray something like this, to be those mature, complete Christians, not lacking anything. So He has designed this fantastic trial, custom-tailored just for you. But you've got to let it run its course. Okay? Why? Otherwise, you're going to take a spiritual lap. You could either learn it now and grow and become stronger and effective Christian. Or you'd say, no, I'm, I'm out of this, baby. I'm out of here. I'm, I'm running from it. I'm hiding from it. I'm hating it. I'm resenting it. I'm getting a bitter about it. Instead of growing better. And miss the opportunity. Well, guess what? God loves you so much. All right, you don't want to learn it today. I'll give you about another six months. We'll do it again. <laughs> oh, what? Are you, still, are you still not ready? All right. Next year. All right. Uh, you know, yeah, it's, it's going to be the same lesson. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in a different package. Okay. But it's still the same principle I'm trying to teach you. Why? To torture you? No. To bless you. To make you into that strong, mighty, mature Christian. Not to destroy us. Not to do, obliterate us. Not to utterly ruin us. Okay. Uh, to get us to be spiritually mature, not lacking anything. In fact, flip it around. I thought about this. Flip it around. Let's, let's, let's bring this a little bit more practical, okay? Because you say, well, okay, so what? So what? So maybe I, I'm trying to run from this. Maybe I'm trying to mask this, to, to, to block this out of my mind, uh, to just deny what's happening, to go in a different direction, to not submit to this, okay? Well, flip it around. All the things that we looked at over the last several weeks, that means you're not going to get how many guys would like to miss out on, let me just recap, how many guys would like to miss out on learning to persevere, meaning that you have the ability to bear up under the pressure of any kind of pain and not be crushed? <laughs> Woo, yeah, don't, don't, don't let me have that. How many guys would like to miss out on exposing your sin nature so you can grow in uh, holiness? How many guys would like to miss out on being protected from becoming spiritually lazy or to be a blessing to other people or to teach us that God is God and that we are not? How many guys would love to miss out on the opportunity to become more like Jesus, being protected from wasting your life here on earth, to be made more humble and joyful and loving? How many guys would love to miss out on the opportunity to be a, a powerful testimony, uh, to bless other people, uh, uh, to, to have a powerful character that you can... Uh, be made strong in Christ, to get steered in a new... How many guys would love to get to miss out on being steered into a new direction that God has for you to produce even more fruit for His glory? Wouldn't that be awesome? How many guys would love to miss out on being benefited and being a part of a powerful godly fellowship or to build your faith? Or if you're going backwards uh, to, to return to God he, or, or to be disciplined by God to keep you on the straight and narrow, uh, to be a witness for Him, to be freed from the power of depression. Or, or listen, how many guys would love to miss out? Jesus Christ, out of love and mercy, He, he's, he died on the cross for all of us uh, as, and, and, uh, to give us the greatest gift of all the gift of eternal life and then he's given us whatever time we have left on earth uh, to have the privilege of earning crowns to lay at his feet just to say thank you for saving me and rescuing me from hell how many guys would love to get there empty handed now that's just a few of the things that I came up with that I've experienced personally and in the scripture of course 
of the good things that God has designed for His children in trials. You, you, you mess it up if you don't let it run its course. And then, of course, I think the obvious one for the non-Christian going through the trial, how would you like to miss out on going to heaven? Which, let's translate it again. Oh, uh, they didn't go to heaven. No. You went to hell. And you never get now. All right? That's serious stuff. You've got to let the trial finish his work. Otherwise, you're going to take a lap. Or if you're not a Christian, now it's too late. That was your last opportunity. So Christian, you're either going to take a lap if you mess this up. Non-Christian, one of these days, you're flirting with it being too late. Now you're really doomed. Okay? One guy says this. He's uh, a great, great thing. He says, listen, our values determine our evaluations. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value the material and the physical more than the spiritual, we will not be able to count it all joy. If we live only for the present and forget about the future, then trials will make us bitter, not better. Your values determine your evaluation. In other words, if you can't rejoice in your trials, Christian, and if you cannot submit to them, even though it's difficult, and let them run its course, something is messed up with your spiritual values. You are not taking God at His word. In essence, you're calling Him a liar and saying, God, you don't know what you're doing. God, you are not designing this for good. I know what's better. I'm running away. Something's messed up. Because when we refuse to submit to God's will, including the painful trial He's designed for our good, we're saying we know better than God. And we're also saying God, by nature of that, doesn't know what He's doing. That's scary stuff. That in itself is something that He's going to have to teach you and design a trial to not do anymore for your good. Right? We've got to let it run its course. Now, what does the world say? And, and I think this is where, uh, what we want to do when trials come. When trials come, you submit to it. You learn from it. You realize that this is something good for you and you're going to become a stronger person for it. No, they've cashed in on it. When trials come, what do you do? It's time to... We ain't got the money, but let's just uh, rack it up on the credit cards. Time for a trip to the Bahamas. Let's escape this thing. How many of you guys learned that distance does not fix the problem? <laughs> oh, I know what we need to do. You know, I just, I just need to get, I just need to, I just need to get, get away from this. I, you know, I just, it's time to go buy a new wardrobe or that doodad for the back of the house or whatever. I, I need to spruce up the apartment. I, I got to go get a new car. That's going to fix it. That's what people do, don't they? They go into materialism thinking that somehow that's going to, what? God says, no, submit to it. All right? You stick with me. You walk with me. I'll take care of you. You're my child. I'm not going to hurt you. Okay, if something's happening that is painful, it's for your good. Would you trust me? That's all he's talking about there. One guy said this, listen to this quote, this is one of my all-time favorite quotes. Remember, the, the, the theme of what we're talking about is our spiritual values are messed up. One, I shared this before on Wednesday nights in our discipleship day. One, one guy said this, he says, you know, we all want to be transformed to be more like Jesus. We all want to become those powerful, mighty Christians on a bed of light, love, and grace. But you become a Christian, a better Christian, a stronger Christian by following Christ more, right? What path did Jesus take? Was it a path of light, love and grace and fluffy bunnies and cookies and pleasant experiences? No. And yet we think we, we, we are going to be made like him by going a different path? Nobody likes suffering. But it's oftentimes the challenges is what God uses to make us more like his son. Anyway, so this guy said this. He says, listen, Christ did not say, if you would come after me, let him enjoy himself. Let him be gorgeously dressed. Let him be drunk with delight. He never said, be glad that you're perfect and you can see how well you're doing. No, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and come follow me. His path winds up the side of a steep mountain where death is going to present itself at every hand. You don't see the lovely side of following Christ. You see what he takes away, but you don't see what he gives. You exaggerate the sacrifices. You ignore the blessings. God is your father. Do you think he would ever hurt you? He just, listen, he just cuts off from you those things you love in the wrong way. You cry like a baby when God removes something or someone from your life. But you would, listen, but you would cry a whole lot more if you saw the eternal harm your wrong attachments cause you. You don't see with the eyes of eternity. God knows everything. Nothing happens without his consent. You're upset by small losses, but you don't see 
eternal gains. He says, don't dwell on your suffering. Your oversensitivity makes your trials worse. Abandon yourself to God. You cannot give place to the world, to your passions or your laziness. Words are not enough to claim the kingdom of God. It takes strength and courage and violence. You must violently resist the tides of this world. Violently give up all that holds you back from God. Violently turn your will over to God and do His will alone. This violence is what I pray you will come to know. For how else will you know anything of the life of the Lord Jesus? Listen, here's the the rub. We must imitate Jesus. We have to live as he lived we have to think as he thought we have to be conformed to his image listen jesus christ was born in a state this is god the king of kings and the lord of lords when he came to this planet what did he experience jesus was born in a stable he was obliged to fly into egypt 30 years of his life were spent in a workshop he suffered hunger thirst and weariness he was poor despised miserable he taught the doctrines of heaven hardly anybody would listen the great and the wise persecuted and took him subjected him to frightful torments treated him like a slave put him to death between two thieves having preferred to give liberty to a robber rather than let him escape such was the life which our lord chose listen while we are horrified At any kind of humiliation, we can't even bear the slightest appearance of contempt. So he says this. Let us compare our lives with that of Jesus Christ. Reflecting that he is the master. And we are his servants. Let us begin to walk in the path which our Savior has marked out. Because it's the only one that can lead us to be made more like him. So let's get out there and let's suffer for Jesus. Woo! Yeah, yeah, we should be jumping up now. Down. Round. Can we do a wave? It's football season after all. Something? Anything? Such was the path our Lord chose. And we want to be followers of Christ. But when trials come, what do we do? He takes away things that we hold in the wrong way that's messing up eternal gains. We may not see it, but it's okay. He knows what he's doing. And we can be joyful even in the midst of not knowing. It's okay. We don't need to know. All we need to do is trust. You have to let this trial do its thing. You've got to let it finish its purpose. Don't stop it. Don't resist it. Don't run it. Don't hate it. Don't resent it. Don't think about it. Don't ponder it. Don't consider it. You've got to submit to it and be blessed. Always had a preacher said, be obedient and be blessed. Somehow we think being obedient to God is not a blessing. God's way is the best way. Not just God's way, it's the best way. If you want to have the best possible life, this side of heaven, even on this messed up, cursed creation currently, then follow Jesus. Do everything he says to do, and you will have the best possible life this side of heaven. Not a perfect life. Is with, with, heaven comes later, meaning that. But if you want the best possible life before you get there, follow Jesus. Submit to everything that he allows to come. Trust him, okay? Now, real quickly, I'm, there's four things that I've learned that, and questions that I've got in my brain that I ask when I go through hard times, okay? Not if, but when, because they're coming. Anybody not going through a hard time right now? It's okay if you can raise your hand. Maybe it's just a, one of those seasons where you got something good going on. Well, apparently we're all going through a hard times, so just in case you were one of those people who were in those little brief moments of actually something's really going good right now, uh, I was going to encourage you and say, well, take heart. Uh, another trial's coming soon. Okay, it's just going to happen, okay? So anyway, so this is what I've learned. The first question you need to ask God, number one, when you're going through hard times, there's going to be four of them, and we're going to close, is God, what are you trying to teach me? Okay, what are you trying to teach me? And the first reason why I've learned to ask that question is because it reminds me of Romans 8, 28, that in how many things? All things, including, or that's just the good times. No, just like what James is saying, even the trials, the challenges, that God is doing something good. He's trying to teach me something. And what that does is that keeps my brain from thinking that this is just willy-nilly. There's no reason. There's no rhyme or reason to this thing. It's just some random event that's just entered into the street. There's no purpose. There's no value in this. No. See, it's one thing to go through the trial. You want to pour acid on your wound? You want to pour salt on your wound? Okay, here's a good one. You want to pour chicken juice on your wound? Yes, it's chicken juice is pretty bad. Okay. <laughs> then go, it's not just going through that trial that hurts enough as it is. Go through that trial thinking there's no purpose of value in this. Now that's a lie. We know the scripture says God works all things together for good. So when I force myself, when I'm hitting this trial, God, what are you trying to teach me? 
it protects my brain and my heart from going in the direction to think that this is not valuable. It is. There's something good in this. Thank you, God. I, I didn't say it. I'm, I understand it all right now, but what are you trying to teach me? There's something cool. It reminds me of God's sovereignty. Okay? The second question is, God, how can I please you in this? Okay? How can I please you in this? See, because here's an element. You can know that God is sovereign. You can know that he's going to allow this for good. But you can miss it. Kind of like what James is saying. Let this thing run its course. You can miss it if you don't submit to it. If you don't do what you're supposed to do in it. Okay? Because I don't know if you guys have learned this one or not. But did you realize that uh, you are not responsible for somebody else's behavior. But you are responsible for your reaction to their behavior. I'm not, that's between them and God. I'm, no, I'm not condoning it. And if it's a bad thing or a sinful thing, God's not condoning it either. But I am responsible for how I react to that. And if I don't get this question quickly in my brain, how can I please you in this? this one re, the first one reminds me of God's sovereignty. The second one reminds me of my personal responsibility. Because there's something I need to do. There's something I need to not do. There's something I need to change. There's something I need to whatever. There's something I, I, I need to do. It's not just, here's the lesson and stare at it. You need to fill in the blank. You, you got some piece of this. Right? You're not responsible for somebody else's behavior, but you are accountable for your reaction to the behavior. Okay? You, there's something that you need to learn. You've got to be responsible with this. Otherwise, you're going to take another lap. Okay? Anybody hate taking laps? Be responsible God, what can I do? How, how can I please you in the midst of this? What are you trying to teach me? But how can I please you in this? The third one, this, is an attitude adjustment. Okay, this one, it, it puts things into proper perspective, okay? You think about that trial, and you think about it, and maybe it's been going on for a while, maybe you don't have all the answers, and you're sitting there wondering, why this, why that, why is all that, and you get to the point, and you say, hey, listen, how would my attitude, how would my attitude change about this event trial how would my attitude change about this if i knew for sure i was going to meet jesus in five minutes right then and there even just with your body language you got it didn't you it's like if you could the pressure building up it's this trial and this thing and why and this and it's just swelling like a balloon and it's like somebody takes a pin when you ask that question because it forces you to realize is it really that worth getting that worked up over? In the grand scheme of things, why am I getting so caught up in this? How would my attitude change about that? God, what are you trying to teach me? I know there's something good. What's my responsibility in this? How can I please you in this? I don't want to take a laugh. Help me have the right attitude. You know what? In the grand scheme of things, don't let me get sucked into this and create a black hole. Help me keep the right perspective. In the grand scheme of things, it's not that big of a deal. Ultimately. Okay? The fourth one, and this is where I think James comes in, is you need to not just embrace this. There has to come a point. But you've got, uh, uh, you got a choice to make. You need to embrace this with joy. Okay? Not, not just embrace it, but embrace it with joy. Okay? Because again, you can know that God's sovereign. You can know that you've got a personal uh, uh, opportunity, a lesson here for you to learn. And that your job is to please God in all things as a Christian. And you can know that, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, this really isn't that big of a deal. But you could run from it. You can still run from it. No, I'm not going to learn it. You have to at some point say, okay, God, I accept this baby for what it is. I don't really know what it all is about. I don't have all the answers. It is painful. I don't necessarily like it. But I, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. I want whatever you went through all this hassle, so to speak, to design this baby to teach me something good. I'm locked onto this thing. I'm not running from it. Uh, by your spirit, milk it's for all it's worth. I don't want to keep. I don't. I want to get out of first grade. Have you learned that one yet? You, you don't get out of first grade. You don't get into second grade until you pass first grade. Anybody ever make it out of first grade? All three of you. Okay. <laughs> What do we say about the educational system? I don't know, but I digress. Uh, but anyways, yeah, okay, it's the same thing. You, you, you're going to take a lot. So I, I embrace this thing. But what does James say? He says, listen, embrace it for all it's worth. Get to that point where you're so convinced it's not worth getting worked up over. I'm going to have joy in this. I know I'm going to come out on top. I'm not going to run from this thing. I'm grabbing onto it. And God, please milk it for all it's worth because I, I want to get out of first grade. I want to make it into the next level. 
in my walk with you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance has to finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. All these trials for the non-Christian, God's trying to expose your fake, your phoniness so that you don't go out in the world claiming to be a Christian, giving a false representation of Jesus Christ. Also, if you're not as Christian, he's trying to save you. If you're a Christian, it's all part of God's methodology into making us into those mighty strong Christians we say we want to be. And listen, it gets even better. Even when we're in the midst of this trial and we're not resisting it and we're embracing it and we do even have an attitude of joy, but sometimes have you ever, ever gone through the trial and, and yet there's, there's strategic points during that trial, you need to make some decisions. But you're not really sure what to do. What do you do? Well, that's what the, all the next verse is. God, once again, comes to our rescue. And he says, listen, in the meantime, not only continue with joy, and trust me, embrace this thing, milk it for all it's worth, but if you need some wisdom, if you need some advice of how to roll with this trial each and every day, in the meantime, just ask me. And I, wait till you see the grief. I'm going to pour that out on you like you can't even believe. Isn't that awesome? We'll get into that, Lord willing. Verse 5. Anybody excited? Verse 5? Yeah. All right, that, that is exciting. I didn't think you'd be quite that excited, but that told me a lot. But anyway, that's, we're getting there. Thank you, Mickey. I appreciate it. Let's pray. Well, hi. This is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, and it's coming for each one of us, we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows he knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly, the Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder and you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included. 
and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, They they cannot reverse it. The, The sentence has been passed. The judge has... Uh, slammed his gavel and they are ushered off into their jail cell and in this particular crime they are going to receive the death penalty and so they're behind bars just waiting for the time waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty but believe it or not as we know there is a way that a person can get off a death row and that is if the one in authority the governor would grant them a pardon now they didn't earn it Uh, they certainly don't deserve it And there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime, okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now, wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, Call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.